0: Hello and welcome to episode 49 of Booze, Booms and Busts, the podcast where we discuss market events while at the same time quaffing a few beers. We're afraid we weren't with you last week. We did skip a week with our episodes. Sadly, Sam was called away uh, due to parental duties, which uh, I I am very, very luckily not beholden to at all. But Sam, you're back with us now for the moment at least, Uh, but you will have another kid on the way soon. It's uh, It's a very celebratory podcast today, I would say.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean it's it's, it's a good reason to, to have a couple of beers as any. It's uh, yeah, last last week, unfortunately, um, so my wife is is at the very final stages of pregnancy. Uh, we are literally due to give birth next week. We're we're, we're booked in. Uh, typically, birthing doesn't go according to a booked schedule, but in our case, it does because uh, that's that's what's happening with our second child. Um, people that know will know. And uh, yeah, so next Friday is going to be the big day, uh, which means I am all hands on deck, but also dealing with a heavily pregnant wife uh, and a two-year-old toddler. Uh, So it is manic is a, a, it probably doesn't do it justice for our household at the moment or about all what's about to come. So um, yeah, good good reason to crack a couple of beers, new kid on the way, dealing with the one we've already got. uh, And yeah. It's it's the like we said just before uh, off air. It's it's the end of one stretch and the, the beginning of another very long long one.
0: Yeah, what's that JFK quote? We uh, we do not do these things because they are easy, but because <laughs> they are hard.
1: <laughs> My wife and I have this um, sort of running joke where um, uh, we we just sort of every now and then we'll just look at each other and just say, "Have kids," they say. "Change your life," they say. What they don't say is how it's going to change your life
0: <laughs> yeah i'm uh yeah i mean having kids does sound does sound really good uh i wonder if i'd be able to deal with it as i am at the moment but uh no, be, be honest day. i
1: think i think when i was your age uh i i was very much the same um and then all of a sudden one day I, I've, I've got a two-year-old and another one on the way these things just tend to happen <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, it's gonna be quite a world that they're gonna grow up in, that's for sure. Fucking hell, uh, tell me about it. Probably probably you, every parent has said that. Uh oh, man. the future is yeah. always unknown, but these days, I mean
1: it's it's wild, right? Like even um, yeah, the future is unknown. And I'm always really optimistic and I'm I'm really excited for you know the future that you and I are gonna, you know, continue to live in for the next, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years or whatever, and uh, and the future that my my boys will grow up in. You know, they, they now live in a world where, you know, a robot vacuum cleaner is, uh, you know, it's just something that exists in the house. Do you know what I mean? And, and uh, you know, with uh, Bitcoin, you know, is just going to be something that they know exists. They're not going to know a world without it. Um, mm. So these sorts of the things that they will see as norm, you know, when I, when I was a kid, you know, the Nintendo Entertainment System, you know, I, I remember a world before that. And now we're talking about virtual reality and virtual worlds and augmented reality and these sorts of things. So, mm. you know, it's amazing how how fast things can develop and change. So I'm excited for the future, but um, even just the other day, Haley, uh, my wife was showing me some, um, you know, your phone sort of throws back some old pictures at you every now and then. Um, an, an old one popped up from March last year and it was of our son Uh Uh, in march last year and the change in him physically and developmentally in the last year and a bit is just astronomical uh and it's it's great to see that change in him but it's also quite sad because like the whole time in that he's changed he's effectively been you know limited to the park and our house you know, there's mm. no, you know, can't, can't go to, you know, haven't been able to go to kids groups and, and a lot of the activities and things that he would normally do to socialize have just not been available. They've all been locked down. Um, so, you know, I'm glad he's not going to remember this time, uh, but it's it still, you know, it, it casts a bit of a shadow on, on the, at least the near term future. Um, mm. But I still think longer term it's, you know, shit always you know we always go through through weird bad patches as, as a as a community and a society but we always it appears at least to come out better from these things out the other end
0: <laughs> hmm. yeah i do i do wonder uh and i do i do worry actually i think uh i'm for all the the generation the zoomers who are uh who are still at school and things like that yeah um, and really i can't think of an age where it wouldn't have a really bad effect on you ultimately being being mm. locked inside and doing all your classes through a screen and all that and being unable to socialize uh, yeah, i really do think it's a very i think it's really bad for for children uh, and yeah i, I, I feel
1: I, I do feel sorry not sorry but i i it's it's a shame that kids that will remember this you know kids that are probably you know from five six to, to ten fifteen eighteen year olds it's 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 it's, it's pretty shit like even we, we just went down the street before and uh we we caught the school traffic and there's just a whole bunch of kids standing outside in the fresh air wearing masks it's like that's a bit bit fucked up you know
0: yeah it is uh you know i think that i it's it's not just that it's a shitty experience that uh that worries me it's just the the development i mean when people are growing up they're learning how to socialize with people how to be around other people um you know, the kind of things that they should be worried about, what they shouldn't be worried about. Um, and, you know, it's just, lockdown is just such an unnatural thing to do to people. And, uh, and for kids when they're growing up, like there's going to be repercussions for what, what's happened to them further down the line. Yeah. They're going to behave completely differently. I well, so. I mean, you know, completely, maybe not. Some of them will, some of them won't. But for, um, you know, I think a lot of people are actually going to encounter a lot of difficulty when they're older because behavioral patterns that were, you know, were just beginning when they Mm. were in lockdown weren't expressed the way they they would have been other than that. Um, Yeah. Look, I mean, I'm
1: no, I'm no uh, child psychology expert, but I, I believe that there are some key stages of development that kids go through that develops their cognitive skills and also their personalities. Um, And there's like two key phases. I think I'm sure one of our listeners probably knows a bit better than i do but i think i remember my dad talking about it because my, my parents were both teachers uh and they talk about it's it's some sometime in your early single digit life and then an, i think a time in your early kind of double digit life where you go through these two really formative periods and it's it's really kids i think that are in those formative windows that are going to struggle the most that just unluckily happen to you know be going through these rapid changes that shape their personalities and their view on things and how they process information uh, I think it's really going to hit them. And yeah, you're right. It's, it's, it's really unfortunate, I think.
0: Yeah. And I think it's been massively overlooked by all of the people who are pro lockdown. Um, yeah. and it's just like, uh, a, just a, another thing of like the older generation are just leaving another problem for the younger generation, because <laughs> the, a lot of them are going to be dead by the time these problems actually, <laughs> uh, actually come about, you know, it's almost like borrowing, borrowing from the future, uh, yeah. a bit like debt really, you know, you're just borrowing from the future to, uh, to consume in the present um, it's like um just oh, okay. uh,
1: just, to, just to, something you said just then about the the you know worry it's 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 the younger generation's problem to to worry about i, I saw i don't know if you caught there was that uh, interview on the new gb news channel with um i think it was andrew neil and uh rishi sunak and he was uh, neil was asking him about how the government's going to pay for the net zero uh Policy that they have, with previous estimates, I think from some of his uh, Sunak's predecessors, had put the figure at something like a trillion pounds to to get the country to net zero. And he kept trying to figure out. He kept trying to ask, how are they going to pay for it? And I'm sitting there listening to it, and they're talking about 2050. And so 2050 is you know 30, just under 30, 30 years away, um, which you know is 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 literally a lifetime away um and and i'm like i'm thinking to myself while sunak's talking about this i'm just like what he he doesn't fucking care he doesn't care how much it costs he's gonna be long gone from politics by the time this actually is supposed to roll around he'll probably have a cushy job as a as a advisor to one of the companies that's that's you know going to benefit most from it i mean politics is just effectively now a pathway into a cushy high-paid private industry job so I mean, it's, it's funny we talk about stealing from the future and, and worrying, having to leave it to everyone else to pay off. I mean, this net, net zero is, is a perfect example of that.
0: Yeah, it'll be Lord Sunak by then. He'll have different <laughs> yeah. problems to deal with. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> Lord Sunak of the uh, liberal Citadel. <laughs>
0: You know, though, to, though, interestingly, like Sunak, you know, he's, he's married to one of the richest like yeah. men in Britain's daughter, right? So yeah. it's like money problems aren't really, aren't really, I wonder what, what, what's really motivating the guy. Um, but yeah, I didn't actually watch that interview. Sam, I'd be interested to hear what your, your views are on that GB News channel, because it did only launch over the past week.
1: Yeah, well, actually, and, and I hadn't intended this, but this this actually does somewhat segue into my bearish segment for the week. Oh, that's right. Uh, Which fits in pretty well. So I'm I'm bearish this week on uh, companies with gimmicky advertising, Uh, Uh and that 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 also kind of rolls into companies that uh, will companies that that get pressure from from political uh, groups to act in a certain way, and then importantly act on those (laughs) um, things. Because like the GB News thing, I haven't I haven't watched it at all because I just don't watch news any side of the political divide uh at the moment because frankly i don't i think they're all pretty rubbish um nonetheless you can't avoid the fact that um all these advertise uh advertise all these companies that, that advertise typically on tv so i think where we got we got ikea was one grosh nivea uh, a couple of the insurance companies i think lvi was one of the insurance companies money supermarket although i believe they've backtracked on that now uh, whole bunch of advertisers pulled advertising from GB news because apparently of pressure from a stop the hate group, which I think is a, a, a very left-leaning group that has decided GB news is uh, too far to the right for their liking and is promoting hate speech. Um, which is just, I mean, it's, it's beyond hypocrisy <laughs> that they're reasoning. Um, but, uh, Yeah, so I mean, if if you're a company and that you've decided to pull your advertising from GB News, um, I'm bearish on your company. And along with that, uh, in terms of the gimmicky advertising things, the the, the brouhaha that's kicked off when Cristiano Ronaldo moved the Coca-Colas from in front of his interview after the Portuguese Euros match. And then I think that was followed up by Paul Pogba moved the Heinekens away from his interview um and and then vw have uh d- deliver the ball to the center of the pitch in a remote control id4 electric car um i mean these sorts of gimmicks people people these days are, are, are very far too and well cottoned on to the fact that these kinds of gimmicks uh don't work uh if anything they're counterproductive to the intention that i think these companies think they have um you know, a a remote-controlled ID4 taking a ball out makes me want to buy a Volkswagen ID4 less than if they didn't do it. Uh, A couple of Cokes and a Heineken on a player's table uh, doesn't make me want to buy those things. It actually makes me want to buy them less. And same thing with, like, Ikea or Grosh withdrawing advertising from something like GB News, which is supposed to try and balance the, you know, the news equation in, in Britain makes me want to use those companies less so i think they're these sorts of gimmick advertising or or yeah or, uh, uh, tailoring to the woke crowd uh, about uh some of these things i think i think these companies are shooting themselves in the foot and, and I'm, I'm bearish on the companies that uh that do these that make these moves
0: yeah i uh, i feel similarly this is maybe flirting somewhat with controversy here but we're no, uh, no strangers to that with this podcast, but I feel similarly where you have uh, it being Pride Month at the moment, and every company has put their their logo in, in with the gay pride flag, rainbow colours, um, and it's every you know it's just every major corporation, right? Um, and I mean, do you do you re- does anyone really believe that HSBC <laughs> is massively you know just really really cares? that it's gay pride month? Does anyone think Goldman Sachs does? Does anyone think UBS does? Yeah. It's pure, you know, it's just, it's just pandering. Um, and it's, and it, but it's, it's pandering to the point where it's like, who really believes? Like, does anyone really think that this company actually cares rather than the fact that they're just trying to appear, you know? Um, I mean, woke is just not. I don't think yeah, woke is even a term. Um, but it's just—it doesn't know, it's, really do
1: it justice, really, for it, for how the, these be- the companies behave. It's just so it's
0: just so transparent. This uh, oh well, it's gay pride model All right, so let's put the put the logo up. And, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, wisely, uh, you know, looked at how you go for the Twitter account for you know Mercedes Benz, and yeah, you know, we have the big rainbow flag. And then you go Mercedes Benz Saudi Arabia Twitter account, and of course, it's completely unchanged. all right. you know, they, they don't. <laughs> These companies don't care, right? This is just this is just about PR, and it's just about yeah. uh, you know making sure that your customers feel that you care about all of the right issues. When you you know companies like Volkswagen, right? They, they don't give a rat's ass about human rights, right? They're yeah. using slave labor in China. They've no, they, the idea that these guys are, uh, you know, they're just re- they just really care about society and about how you know uh, homosexuality should be accepted, et cetera, right? the company doesn't give a shit uh it's it's just so so transparent um but there that's your that's the that's the bearish part from you for for this month sam uh would you or yeah we, well actually no what what are you drinking we've yet to yet to do oh yeah
1: drink. yeah we haven't even uh, discussed drinks. so my first one um is from the yeasty boys now i don't know if anyone's heard of the yeasty boys but they're a uh, reasonably popular brewer. In Australia and New Zealand. They're originally from New Zealand, but have brews in Australia and New Zealand, and now also the UK. Uh, so they do brew, um, while well, they are sort of Antipodean, they do brew in the UK and distribute here uh, around the UK. And this is a Yeasty Boys Gunna matter Now, Gunna matter is actually the name of a beach uh, in Australia. And it, this is an Earl Grey IPA. It's a yellow can with what you can see are. are uh, illustrations of waves all over it representing Gunnamada Beach. Uh, description is a boldly floral, much like your granny's bedroom, uh, with stone fruit and citrus notes and a long dry finish. Uh, yeah. So it's actually, yeah, it's 6.5%. So it's a, it's a fair whack. Um, but it's a very, you know, an Earl Grey IPA on, you know, the initial sort of, you see that and you think, oh, I don't know about that. But it's actually quite a refreshing beer. Um, with a decent whack of alcohol content in it. Uh, Yeah, very enjoyable so far.
0: Very good. Uh, This week, I'm on uh, Ants Back and Hob Day. We've probably done a few of their beers actually on this podcast before. They're getting quite big, that brand, I find. I I, I see them more and more these days. This one is called The Sour Dry Hop. So relatively self-explanatory there. It's got... A chick playing a cello and a chick playing a guitar with a top hat on. And it says the sour dry hop is the perfect balance of old and new world brewing. Inspired by the traditional Berlin of sour beer once brewed in Berlin and known as the Champagne of the North. Ours is soured by lactobacillus and dry hopped with citra. An unusual style that delivers a tart citrusy fruitiness. I really do like dry hopped beers in general, uh, they go down real well. And this one's pretty good 4.9 percent, doesn't really taste 4.9 percent either, but it's uh, but it's going down pretty well, I must say. Um, I think for uh, uh yeah, so Sam, what's your what are you bullish on the, this week?
1: Well, I'm, I've spent a fair chunk of the early part of this week uh, recording some video for my um subscribers to my crypto service from mm-hmm. South Bank. Uh, on DeFi and um, strategies on yield farming around DeFi, because we speak a lot. Uh, we've spoken a lot about sort of decentralized finance, which is which is what DeFi stands for. Um, but there's not a, a whole heap of, of quality information out there, and so um, a lot of people sort of uh, link DeFi to Ethereum, uh, the Ethereum blockchain, and, and some of the big DeFi style. Um, developments out there like Uniswap, which has become a really big decentralized uh, exchange. Yeah, which we, uh, we,
0: we spoke about quite a lot in, I think, November last year or December.
1: Yeah, yeah, we did actually. We actually, do you know what? I think if I go back, we should go back through, I should go back through our episodes and uh, and find out when we did start talking about DeFi in a, in a meaningful way, because I think we were quite well ahead of the curve on that. Yeah,
0: one. with Uniswap, I remember, I remember saying that uh, I made the case on this podcast that... Mm. Uh, if DeFi is the thing that you know the cycle is remembered for something like uniswap is going to do really well and it and it did do very well post that point so there is uh, we do have that gem but uh, <laughs> sam i mean you're the you're the you're the main crypto guy here so carry on
1: yeah so like uh, well, the thing that the thing for me was really about how quickly that it's it's evolved like I mean, arguably, DeFi has been around since the creation of Bitcoin because there's a fair argument to make that Bitcoin itself is decentralized finance. I mean, it it is uh, enabling global commerce to take place, transfer of wealth, transactions. It's decentralized. It is effectively a financial network, even if it's just a store of value or even if if it becomes payments with something like the Lightning Network. It is really the OG DeFi. I think there's a strong case to be made for that. but there seems to, have been, it seems to be that Ethereum blockchain and Ethereum developers have seemed to hijack DeFi and that if it's not on Ethereum, it's not proper DeFi. And I think that's a narrative that's dangerous and that people can get sucked into because, like I said, I've spent a lot of this week putting together stuff um, for people to understand that DeFi can exist on other blockchains that aren't Ethereum. Um and so I was, you know, do, doing some work on, on RSK and Secret Network and Tezos. And, and then I was thinking to myself, you know, when we were talking about this stuff, sort of September, October, November last year, um, DeFi on these, on these other blockchains wasn't, it wasn't there. So it really was all Ethereum based. So I can understand in terms of some of the more recent DeFi stuff, how it has become very Ethereum centric. But the speed at which now other blockchains have realized that, that they can, can, can do these sorts of things as well. Um, it just, I just find it's a really exciting space and the speed and the explosion on other, on other networks um, is really exciting. That obviously raises a, a, you know, a question around you know, where's the value in, in any of these things and um, you know, how do they you know, interact and, and speak with each other and, and what does the future look like with it all? And you know, we don't really know, but I think the exciting thing is that we're seeing the development take place. We're seeing problems then arise and then find their way out. Um, and it's it's quite exciting. There's also a lot of risk as well. So the other thing, as I saw this morning, and you'll like this, I don't know if you caught this right, but there was a DeFi uh, project. I think it was on Polygon, uh, Polygon's network. And Mark Cuban had tweeted about it. I think it was called like Iron uh, Titanium Chain. Yeah,
0: yeah, um, yeah. The Iron and Titan, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, and so the, 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 the crypto was like Titan or whatever. And it, it had pumped over the last few few days i think the last week or something from like 40 cents to like 40 50 60 dollars or something like that right so like over 100 x uh it, it had pumped and then um yeah and then then basically within 14 hours the value had had dropped to zero so it was rug pulled and yeah, apparently cuban rug. cuban got caught up in it but then he also he also tweeted that he he got, he out, got out as well so yeah. Where he got out, I don't know. There's there's even talk that he was the cause of the rug pull. He um, rugged him.
0: His, he, he, the, he may have rugged.
1: rugged. I, I, Had I his reached... hand
0: on the tassel.
1: Yeah, yeah. he may have pulled that, that beautiful Persian from underneath all of the uh, hodlers at $60. Um, but the thing that I loved the most was when you look at the like, the, you know, was it like the hour charts or even the, you know, the the, the 24-hour charts. It literally goes up, 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 and then just straight. It's just the biggest red candle down you've ever seen. And then somebody took that, put a missile on the bottom of it. And it's now known as the Cuban Missile Crisis, which I just thought was absolutely fantastic. I mean, that's what I come to the internet for, is that level of insight. Uh, a mark cuban inspired pump then a rug pull yeah. becomes the cuban missile crisis i mean it, it's it's
0: wonderful <laughs> can you uh, for for our viewers because and i'm not that i'm not too familiar with what that platform was meant to be doing anyway sam what was iron actually meant to be was this uh you know was this for lending was this for you know was it the whole shebang where it's like yield farming where you can deposit tokens earn a fat yield from people borrowing it with leverage what was that what was it actually meant to do
1: i'm not going to lie i've got no fucking idea
0: i literally woke up
1: saw that like cuban missile crisis was trending
0: got got, got interested saw a
1: few a few charts and pictures with giant red candles and and then all sort of sort of picked up on the story and then just had a bit of a chuckle about it i mean it's not mm. it's not a chuckle to see people get wrecked But um, you you kind of got if you're gonna step into some of this shit with DeFi, some of these projects, you kind of almost got to expect at some point you're gonna get rug pulled. I got rug pulled pretty early on uh, with Sushi Swap before it actually became stable. Um, So you know these things happen. But fuck me, the Cuban Missile Crisis. I just I just just loved it. I love there's I I should I should retweet it on our Twitter page. The chart that's got the missile at the bottom of the red candle is just something else.
0: Yeah, well, we can. We should name that episode: this Cuban missile crisis. I, I, I while I'm, I was familiar with uh, Mark Cuban being involved in this. Debacle. Yeah, like credit to and, him, right?
1: So he's, he's he, this guy. You know, he's a billionaire. He, he, he doesn't need to be fucking around with DeFi, but he's in there. He's, you know, getting amongst it, trying to figure out what's going on. You know, hands on. Fair credit to him, whether he caused this or is a part of it or whatever happens. I mean, there aren't too many. I was like, Elon Musk's not doing anything like this. Um, you know, Michael Saylor's just buying Bitcoin, but Cuban's in there getting, you know, under the hood. And I like that. I like that approach because I think that, you know, the, the smart guys like him understand that there maybe is a, a future for a lot of this stuff that bigger institutions and organizations can actually get involved in.
0: Mm, yeah, I think, yeah, I think, I think it's fine to laugh at a rug pull when it's, when, it's a, when it's a billionaire that's getting rugged. You know, actually, that's my my bullish segment for this for this week is actually I'm very bullish on the rug industry and uh, <laughs> the the profession of rugging, uh, and indeed the word rug. I think we are. I thought to- you were just
1: going to talk about going to like the Moroccan markets to like import a bunch of rugs and and, and to sell them on you know- in the UK.
0: You know, I did spend some time in Tunisia picking out a nice rug. In fact, a nice few rugs at their famous, uh, at the famous rug market that they do have there. You surprise uh, me
1: every day. I swear to God.
0: <laughs> they, they, oh no, the Tunisians know how to make a great rug, and uh, you know they're very, very, uh, you know, very great, great salesman. You'll know, sit you down. You know, you have a nice. Uh, they'll give you their uh, their tea that they make there, which is small, very high in sugar. A very small glasses you meant to sip it obviously we over here in in the west just like chug it down and want another one <laughs> they think we're just completely uncivilized which is probably true well, these uncouth Westerners. exactly but you know it's all part of the experience you know they'll just show you all these rugs and wow. just beautiful rugs uh so i am i'm am very bullish on uh, on tunisian rugs uh, but i <laughs> for the show i would say uh, the rugging industry when it comes to crypto where it comes to people using smart contracts mm. to uh, you know just to rip out as much value as they can or and it may not be you know a rug pull by design so it's not always when the the a token has been created as a scam with the intention to rug yeah. the people who get uh, suckered into it That's like right. uh, well yeah we don't even know what happened with this iron one who was that really pulled the rug there no uh, but it can be just people uh, you know people exploiting these loopholes, because this is such a frontier thing. No, there's no there's no beta testing here. It's all a live experiment. Uh, and you know, every now and then, somebody will just somebody who knows uh, how the code works uh, will just you know <laughs> go through all of the code. And, you know, just find these small little discrepancies that say, oh, right. So if I if I borrow this much, yeah, when there's only this much in the treasury, and then I you know deposit this much here." Then I can actually yank all of the capital out of this project. Hmm. I mean, this is like you know the Ethereum. Uh, the Ethereum, what what preceded the Ethereum fork was in, in effect you know just a yeah. massive rug pull. There was that one guy That's who true. just realised that he could he could yank so much ETH out of the out of the DAO, you know, out of that out of that treasury, uh, and he did it. And it was a it was a very efficient rug pull. <laughs> uh, but I am yes. I I think this is the fact that we've seen now uh, a billionaire get suckered into this. Yeah. Uh, I, I am very bullish on the rugging industry and the word rug pull. I think uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, we're going to see a lot of people get, get rugged. There's a, um there's a great
1: site on uh, online and, and they, um, they, they have a, obviously a Twitter account and I follow them and they're, they're called, you may have seen them. They're called Rekt, Rekt, um And it's, it's basically a news flow channel which covers basically all, all this stuff around rug pulls and, uh, contract exploits and things like that. And so they go through and they explain how they work. Um, I think they do a bit of forensic analysis to find out how it works so they can, you know, tell people what happened, why it happened. Um, they sort of cover the, the wrecked industry, if you will, which has, which you're right, has become, you know, a thing that the, the, they're so common, you know, millions, tens of millions, uh, sometimes hundreds pulled out of some of these bigger, uh, bigger DeFi projects. Um, and it's, it's kind of interesting because, um, I do encourage everyone to go and check out Rekt. Um, It's uh, it's quite a good quite a good site to understand a bit more about the rug pull and how it works and why why they sort of happen. Um, you know, I think almost sometimes these things have to happen in in a open source um, you know decentralized or at least allegedly de- decentralized uh, no. arena like this because. Unless you find these exploits and then know that they exist and then don't repeat the mistake again, uh, you don't kind of build better systems. Yeah, yeah, And it's yeah, almost it's like you need the rugs to to for DeFi to
0: succeed. hundred percent, hundred percent. I do think that the uh, the phenomenon that we have uh, of uh, of DeFi as it is today, and and indeed the phenomenon of rug pulls, you know, this is actually centuries old. The, the wildcat banks in the US when it was still a frontier where anyone could create a bank and anyone could issue banknotes against very little capital uh, is really just what DeFi is like today. So a lot of it is based on, uh, you know, you need to trust these guys that they're not going to rug you. Because, and back in, you know, back in the day where you get all these wildcat banks where they'd issue way more banknotes than they had actual gold or silver, uh, you know, uh, behind the counter. Uh, you know, they would get rugged. I mean, there were there were entire scam wildcat banks where they'd issue loans, they'd take deposits, they'd issue loans to, to pay for things, uh, and then they'd steal all the goodies and, uh, and hey, run not away just, like
1: standards. Have you not just described the Fed?
0: Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it, oh, no, no, no. Well, the biggest is, rug the, of them that, all. The biggest rug of them all. That is, the USD <laughs> is the biggest rug. Donald Trump himself tried to pull it, and and he even he wasn't strong enough. So <laughs> the, the unpullable rug. rug, too big no. to rug. Is too is that going to be? Is that going to be the the next the next? I think it's too spread. big to pull.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's true I think that's that that fits much better. Too big to pull, maybe.
0: <laughs> I remember. Um, I remember, uh, you know, from RE when I was uh, when I was back at school when we were studying Islam, and when we, and it wasn't just Islam, but you know, it was the uh, when you talk thinking of the end times uh, for because you get it in in Christianity with Revelation, uh, in Islam the metaphor that was used was that uh, you know during the end times at the end of days uh, the world will be rolled up like a rug, uh, wow. and I, that may be the final rug pull of them all.
1: Maybe that's the, do you know what? Yeah, maybe the next major financial crisis is when the big uh, legacy financial institutions start to get involved in DeFi or start to try and do their own forms of DeFi yeah. uh, in a new way. And, and then, they don't know
0: what they're doing and yeah, then they get rugged.
1: That's yeah. right. And, and, and all of a sudden, um, uh, JP Morgan gets rugged.
0: Yeah, imagine HSBC then. gets rugged. <laughs>
1: you know what if hsbc got robbed, I'd, I'd be pretty i'd be okay with that
0: oh 100 percent. yeah i'd, I'd be uh, that would be top quality theater um, yeah
1: yeah that that would be um i think karma is probably there but you know th- this is what this is what's so fascinating i think about this stuff is that we all our trust is it previously has been put into these financial institutions and i remember a long time ago uh going back years um I'm not exactly sure how many, but I know it was several, well before crypto became a big thing. I think it was still around while Bitcoin existed, but before, really before everything sort of became a bit more mainstream. Um, and I remember going to a banking and finance conference and there was a discussion, I remember a panel discussion talking about, I think it was talking about fintechs and how fintechs were going to disrupt sort of the banking and finance industry, um, which, which they have and, and they will continue to do. And the, the thing that was spoken about a lot was that what the traditional incumbents, the, the sort of old money banks, what they have, which is very difficult to breach, is, is trust in terms of it's, it's assumed because for so long we've been conditioned that these financial institutions will protect our money, that there's an inherent trust that we place in them immediately as soon as we put a single dollar with with a bank it it signifies that we have complete and utter trust that we'll be able to get that dollar back and the interesting thing is that that to break that cycle because we all know that 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 the banks do not operate in 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 necessarily ethical moral or often even legal manners uh they're forever breaching anti-money laundering and um you know, different, different, different rules and regulations that they're supposed to be held to account for, paying billions in fines uh, quite often. But yet, for, for most people, there is an inherent trust that exists with the likes of, of Barclays or Lloyds or HSBC that no matter how much evidence you can put in front of somebody, they will still keep their money with the bank because that's the only trust point they have with their money. And I think yeah. what's interesting is that 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 element of trust is still there today. Like I, I don't make any sort of um, mistake of, of of realizing that there is still that strong tie of trust to the banks. But like I said before at the very start of this, for for my boys, they're going to grow up where the bank isn't the only option for them. That there can be. Uh, whether it be fintechs or whether it be crypto-based uh, companies that exist outside of HSBC and Barclays, like, and that's going to be probably come from from me saying that you don't have to trust these companies when you can. There there are other options for you, or self self custody and self trust with with something like a crypto network. And I think that that sort of change doesn't happen overnight. It's generational, but I genuinely believe that within the next sort of 50 to 100 years, the likes of HSBC and Barclays and Lloyds, unless they radically look to change how they uh, relate to and how they function with individuals and with the retail uh, uh, customer, they're on shaky ground. Um, mm. And so I just, I just find it's a really interesting point with global finance and how, how where we put our trust where we put our money, uh, where we put our investments, and how people sort of manage that. Because we've got access to information and platforms and technologies that, that didn't exist 30 years ago. Um, and, and with that comes choice. It becomes, you know, there's a shift of power. There's a bit more freedom. Um, so it's really, you know, I love seeing how global finance and, and banking and finance is is changing right now. And the seeds are being sown to what could be. I mean, I don't know how it's going to look exactly, but you can see there is, there is change taking place. And I think it all boils back down to that issue of trust.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's that. Whole dynamic where banks were uh, designed. You know their architecture was designed to evoke a temple. So you have the uh, the great pillars at the front of it. Uh, yeah. and you still find that with plenty of banks. So here hey, I am in see? Edinburgh today. Yeah. I mean, there are there. Are, you go to Bank of Scotland. You go to RBS. You know they have you know beautiful buildings, uh, and all of them evoke either a palace or a. Uh, or a um, or a temple of some sort or, or a mixer of you know, the very deliberate uh, or what it was. You know, it was necessary back when these were when there were things like wildcat banks, when people were skeptical of uh, of uh, bank notes and bank credit. Uh, you know that this was necessary. Now it's just become ingrained and ingrained and ingrained. Uh, there's uh, you know, when the during that wildcat banking period. You know, you got these uh, the the you know, the, the pirates who are out there doing this stuff. Where the uh, tr- you know the treasure chest, they would have it on show inside this you know ramshackle building, yeah. you know this 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 chest with, which was open and would have gold coins in it, uh, and they would have you know used these very tall nails to balance the coins on the top as though it was full, no. and actually there was very little <laughs> yeah. gold. I mean that's the that's the classic de- you know that's a classic description of a wildcat bank was where this kind of thing was going on, um, and in a lot of ways I think two thousand eight sort of. Uh, pulled back the curtain on it, where mm. people realized actually a lot of the banks that they were banking with were like those wildcat banks, right? Yeah. They, they thought all of the money was there. They they, yeah. they saw these gold coins on atop the chest and thought it was full, when actually it wasn't. Um, and one of the things, and this is this is changing now. So now we have you know the internet, everything. You you can't just put pillars in front of a website, right? You can't <laughs> create that that <laughs> sensation of. I'm in an almost holy place. Uh, you can't, you don't get that. And one mm. of the reasons why I, um, I, I've actually, you know, I used to be very, I used to be quite skeptical of Tether in 2017 and the, mm. the growth of Tether and how, it, how it's grown so much. And you know, who knows what's backing this stuff and you know, what's going on here? Um, you know, are they are they just printing? Are they just printing these things? And maybe they still are, right? This is still very very vague. One of the things I quite like about the growth of Tether. Uh, that we've seen you know enormous amounts of teller billions of dollars worth of usdt have been created seemingly out of nowhere which they claim is backed by commercial paper commercial loans of some sort and everyone's very very skeptical of it um and but regardless of what is actually backing it right regardless of what is in the box that is backing this usdt people are still treating it like a dollar so yeah. they're still treating it like it's $1. It's worth, it's just worth $1. Everybody, you know, loads of people trade. Well, not, you know, not everybody, but there's huge trading volume of this stuff. There are people that genuinely use USDT to pay for real things in real life now, uh, especially, you know, Southeast Asia, places like that. And, you know, it kind of, and all of the people saying, oh, this is just a massive scam. It's all... You know, this is just a massive money printing machine. Look how many they've printed in the last month. Look how many <laughs> they've printed in the last few months. It's so, like, how stupid are these people? I, you know, I'm really starting to enjoy seeing this commentary because like, they don't get it, right? They don't yeah. see that people don't, like people y- who are using this ecosystem don't care. It's, it's almost like they're, you know, the people who are complaining about it aren't realizing that the, the dollars that they're using, you know, the, their own banking system was revealed to be as, you know, well, we don't know what loans we've made for these subprime mortgages, right? They didn't, you know, all <laughs> of that, they've, they've not sort of taken that in and realized that actually people don't care, prov- provided they've got enough trust in seeing oh well this is traded like a dollar here so it's going to be trade like a dollar there and we're just gonna and it's been carrying on for a few years so we're going to carry on using it you know maybe it does all end in tears but it's the is the fact that this has been able to happen and no matter how much FUD gets thrown at it people still just keep accepting a tether as being a dollar and it just reflects this sort of misunderstanding with people who look at a building and trust it and then people who don't really trust the building and they trust this new space but they trust this new space enough just trust that 1 usdt equals 1. Um, and i don't really know where I'm, where exactly i'm going with it but i, I just feel that, that it's that perception of what what where value is and yeah. where trust is i think is revealed by the growth of tether and at the same time the people who think it who you who will, who will just continually raise their voices another octave with every billion dollars of tether that gets minted you know just <laughs> oh how can people be doing it just reflects a misunderstanding um, of what's going on I think the the growth of tether is just showing it's revealing how in the in the, the modern world now in the internet now people are tr- are placing their trust in currencies different much differently than they did before and it yeah. may well be you know may well be this is actually all massive rug pull and tether you know rugs everybody yeah, and this would be the biggest rug in the crypto ecosystem <laughs> but you know, Per, you know, bar nothing. Bar nothing. Yeah. Unless you know Satoshi Nakamoto, you know, did it something is. crazy. But, or, or, uh, or, or
1: Nakamoto ends up being like um, the, the, one of the guys that runs
0: Tether. Um, yeah, yeah. Imagine <laughs> that. He's he's the CFO of Tether. Tether. Uh,
1: that'd be real. I mean, like I don't I I I don't necessarily like stable coins. I don't like USDT, I don't like USDC. I don't, I don't, I don't really understand, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm more of a, how would you describe it? I mean, I'm more of a, um, I'm not, I'm not a maximalist or, or anything like that for Bitcoin or for ETH or for any particular crypto. I'm, I'm all about development, innovation, experimentation and, and trying and seeing what, what can work very much against uh, the, a lot of the legacy systems in how they've been built and how they favor certain, pockets of society and, and people. Um, and I think that, that there sh- certainly should be a, a greater democratization of finance to people. Um, but the interesting thing is with stable coins, uh, really, I, they, they kind of just do the same thing that the existing money does, except they're just easier to use online and with other crypto. So if, if, if Tether was a big rug pull, USDC, all the stable coins, if they were a big rug pull, it would probably not be great for the uh, crypto world short-term, but long-term, I don't think it would be an issue. Um,
0: yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it, it actually, in a way, I think it'd be better, uh, you know, similar to you. I am, I'm skeptical of stable coins, So as I've said, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I would not be surprised if the, I mean, there is weird stuff going on on Tether. They've admitted that a lot of the Tether was on some bank, weird right? shit
1: going on with all the stable coins, I think.
0: Exactly, right? Um, so I'm I'm pretty agnostic actually. It's just a phenomenon that it's a, it's, it's a thing that sh- should be witnessed, like should be observed. What is going yeah. on here is very important. You may not support it, uh, you may support it, but it's something that you really should be aware of. Uh, that, as we just uh, discussed in previous podcasts, you know, I do think that it, effectively the internet has beaten the Federal Reserve at creating a digital dollar. I oh, mean, absolutely. Um, yeah. and I think that I think that's you know I think that's just something that should be observed, but should uh, you know should somebody rug one of the major stable coins i'm actually okay with that because ultimately all it does is just make people even more disenchanted with in the digital space with anchors to uh fiat currencies the legacy system more broadly
1: yeah i mean but uh, yeah i mean you're right and and i think people should sort of think about it as well in terms of so what if tether's not one for one backed by by US dollars. That's exactly how fucking US dollars work. They're not backed one for <laughs> one. They're not backed
0: by anything. They're not
1: backed one for one by you know physical currency. And, and even the physical currency is just paper currency. It's not, you know, so these arguments about it's not backed by anything, I, I find it so fucking superficial. Um, because that's exactly how the current financial system works. It's not backed by anything and it's a fractional reserve system. So if everybody wanted their physical money that they were held in their deposit accounts tomorrow, there would not be enough physical money in the world for everyone to get it. And that's why things like bank runs exist, um, which we've seen in, in countries for, for years, all over the world. Um, when people go realize that you know, the, the, the financial system in their country might be uh, fractured, Fracturists and, and and they need to get their money they go to the bank they all want it out the bank says we don't have enough physical cash to give you your deposits so we're going to restrict how much money you can take out Bang! that's your bank run that's how the bank deals with it they stop you from accessing your money if tether's not backed one for one it's exactly the same fucking thing and tether will just go no you can't have it ta-da you've you've, you've replicated like you say you've done a cbdc without using the central bank they've they've created the u.s digital dollar Um, much faster and more efficiently and better with faster scale than the US government and the the Fed could ever imagine.
0: Um, And and at the same time, I think that the growth of Tether, well, I'm sure there's shady stuff that goes on there too. I think the growth of Tether reflects uh, enormous demand for something that the Fed didn't create, right? So there's huge demand here, and Tether one way or another is serving that demand. The market has huge demand for digital dollars and it and the market is getting it. Thank you to know, Tether. Tether's um, just
1: a fintech really. It's 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 not really it's, I mean, pirate it's not really fintech.
0: a fintech. It's a you know it's a frontier. I mean it's, yeah it's a wildcat fintech. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean it is but like it's it's a so what you you're right so you've also you make a very good point there. The demand for, for something like Tether is clearly astronomical. And not only that, then you start to see where tether's used in things like leverage trading, uh, in, in lending and borrowing. You know, people are, people are putting collateral down in crypto like Bitcoin to then take out cash loans to pay for things. So the cash loans are typically done in, in stable coins like USDT or USDC. Yep. And then they use that fund, those funds, to pay for shit in the real world. The benefit uh, that they have realized of doing that is if you put down something like your crypto, like Bitcoin as collateral and take a loan out against it, you're not actually selling your Bitcoin. So therefore you're not triggering capital, ta- capital gains tax. And so what the people are doing is they're taking out these cash loans to pay for shit in the real world, not triggering CGT, so not having to pay tax on their gains. And then the longer view on them is that effectively the, the growth in the capital value of their collateral uh, is, uh, reaches past the value of the loan that they've taken out um and but even in the mean along the meantime they have you know they can do yield farming strategies to effectively pay back the loan um you know there are tax issues around you know income and things like that it gets a bit complex but the the this is what excites me about decentralized finances there are all these new ways of of looking at finance that are available and open to anybody that's got the patience and time to learn a bit uh, and know how you can start to get involved in it it's not like it's closed off for all the you know people in the back office at fucking hsbc or in the product creation division at goldman or whatever the fuck they have that are coming up with the next mbs this anyone can do this everyone listening uh you know if you've got a bit of a computer background or you know a bit of coding get, you know you can get your head stuck into this shit and be be the banker of tomorrow uh, and i i quite i quite like that idea
0: mm, yeah bankers of tomorrow that could be a uh that could be the name of a novel or something.
1: <laughs> you know, I keep I keep sending messages to my brother because my brother's a, 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 I say a traditional banker, but he's not. I mean, he he works in one of the big banks uh, back in Australia, um, and I, I'm always messaging him, going, "Man, here's some here's some reading for you, and you know about DeFi and and how you know different collateralized loans work with crypto and how some of the yield farming strategies work." And I'm like. You need to be talking to, your, to the fucking executives above you about, you know, why is the bank not looking into this more seriously? Why are we not getting involved in the crypto space? Why, why are we so slow to move on this? Because this is how, you know, people of tomorrow, this is our kids, uh, generations that are come, going to come next. They're going to be looking to this stuff. They're not going to be going to the big traditional banks. Uh, for their borrowing, for you know, money to start a small business, they're going to come to the crypto world because they don't need to fuck around with credit scores. They don't need to sit in front of some douchebag in a, you know, in a suit to tell them, no, we don't think you're suitable for this. We think you're too risky. I'll just go to the crypto market, get it instantly, start their small business, and then never go to the bank. So they're going to lose business. And I think all the incumbents and the big banks that just don't appreciate the change that could be taking place, and they should be getting at least looking at. Um, I think it's gonna it's it's gonna come back to bite them, and they're all like, "Oh no, but we do mortgage lending, and you know we do all these big lenses." Like, yeah, that's fine for now. You know that'll 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 keep you alive for the next twenty or thirty years. Um, but if you want to, if you want your bank to be relevant in the next fifty to hundred, good fucking luck.
0: Mm. Yeah. I get
1: very passionate about this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if, if you want your bank to be something other than a uh, very fine piece of architecture,
1: yeah, to- it's like. Yeah. On the historic tour of Britain is an old bank. People used to walk through these doors and marvel at the temple that was built in front of them. Now, if you'd like to pay for access to this, please tap your QR code and pay in Bitcoin.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's funny. It's crazy the amount of QR codes you get these days. You know, all, all tap and trace and whatever.
1: Um, do you remember when people said the QR code was dead a few years back? They're like, oh, no one's, no one's using QR codes. Oh no, QR. Codes. Really?
0: No, I actually don't remember that.
1: Ah, yeah, man. Like a few years ago, people were like, oh, QR codes are pointless. No one's
0: going to use them. They're such how a how can bad... How can you say that? I mean, the bar, just regular barcodes are on all the products.
1: I know, right? It's it's it, it, like QR codes have been around for ages. Um, but early on, people are like, oh, no, what, what, how am I going to scan this to, to do anything? And, and it, really, I think the QR code preceded the technology that was available to make them useful. So it's kind yeah. of like the cart leading the horse, I think, in this yeah, situation. Yeah. And it's only sort of now, with a little bit more advanced technology, that they start to become even more useful. But I, I distinctly remember, I mean, I should try and drag up a few articles and stuff about it, about the death of the QR code. <laughs> <laughs>
0: your know, quick interlude here what how would you rate your last beer sam and what are you drinking yeah. in second
1: uh so the yeasty boys gonna matter earl grey ipa very very nice uh it definitely had a good you know citrusy taste to it but it, it was dry uh as well uh everything that they described it as was uh was accurate um i and, and even though it was 6.5 percent i could uh, i would even almost put that in down as a session beer that was super super tasty um i'm gonna give that a i think i'm gonna give that a a, a b yeah i think going give that a b
0: oh, very good uh, the uh, the sour dry hop by uh Ants back and hobday was uh, yeah it was very nice uh, nothing crazy it does have nice dry hop taste nothing crazy though i think i'd give it an a plus uh, went down fine uh, not no no major complaints uh, didn't didn't blow your socks off but no it was uh, it was pretty good the, uh, the second one I am on now is called Sumo, and that's Sumo with a dollar symbol for an S. Uh, it's an American pale ale uh, made by Mad Squirrel. Naturally hazy, unfiltered, and this is 4.7%. After the two heavyweight hops that battle it out in this brew, Summit and Mosaic, Sumo, Sumo will wrestle your taste buds with a flavor combo of tropical fruit, dank herbs, and weighty bitterness. Other beers may enter the ring, but Sumo will be the last brew standing. So it says these two heavyweight hops will battle it out, Summit and Mosaic. But neither of those have the dollar symbol in their name. So I'm not really <laughs> sure where the dollar sign's coming from. But it did seem apropos for this podcast, as it is finance-themed, at least. Yeah, but Sumo, and it's got a, uh, it's got the classic Mad Squirrel logo on the front, but it's all red around it. Uh, it. It tastes all right, nothing crazy, but it tastes okay.
1: Is it, um, is it one of those things like you know how like on Twitter when people um, tag like a stock uh, with its, yeah, uh, like a the dollar sign and then the stock. Oh, yeah, name. the ticker. Yeah, 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 the ticker, the ticker on Twitter. You sure, you sure it's Sumo or is it just not Umo? Umo.
0: Yeah. It's like they're they're trying
1: to pump Umo up. stock or Umo crypto or something.
0: Let's see. If we go Umo ticker um let me see
1: i wonder if it actually comes ah, up with
0: it here we go There's already one brackets scam umo finance uh here we are this is a result looks like uh this was maybe a a rug pull actually
1: oh Um, wouldn't that be just poetic
0: umo upward market offer that's what umo (laughs) uh oh wait oh this is interesting um privately owned company since 2009, in the UAE, Ooh. main activity of the company is trading on forex, stock market, and crypto.
1: Hmm. Well, that smells like
0: a scam. <laughs> yeah, Umo Finance. Maybe, maybe Mad Squirrel was in cahoots with Umo Finance. <laughs> 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 I, I
1: somehow very much doubt it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, Umo, yeah. Mad Squirrel, please don't sue us. This <laughs> yeah. is not- no, we are
1: literally just we are, we, are, we have we have no do not hold us to anything we say on this podcast
0: yeah <laughs> and nothing uh, yeah you shouldn't take anything serious that we say here
1: literally yeah. nothing the last the last hour of or whatever of this conversation do not take anything seriously the quality of conversation we've actually had this episode none of it serious
0: <laughs> i'm just going to see coin market cap
1: that's where you should go
0: yeah, there's one called Sumo Coin, but that's not that's Umo. Uh, Sumo Coin, where well, that's coined with a K, currently trading at it. almost ten cents. So it's nine, uh, yeah, yeah, nine cents uh, as of now. Uh, this had a massive, enormous pump in 2017. Oh, P and at the peak, pretty much, and has since just been pretty, pretty flat. Uh, what was Sumo meant to do?
1: Probably uh, not much. It's probably a payment token for the sumo wrestling industry in Japan, uh, uh, where people would have to use sumo tokens to access uh, the fights or engage with their favorite sumos.
0: It's, yeah. it's usually
1: what the shit in twenty seventeen was probably usually about those sorts of things. Yeah,
0: there, uh, there. The logo for Sumo Coin was similar to that that weird S that everyone did at school. You know, where you do like three lines at the top, three lines at three the, the bottom,
1: and right, in a little diagonals. <laughs> i used to love doing that anyway my second beer uh for what it's worth is the heated seats um it's uh, right. so uh it is it is referring to heated seats in a car um so interestingly the little picture on the front is a what appears to be a gentleman and a lady somewhat kind of abstract design smooching um while there are windscreen wipers sort of swishing about in front of them as rain comes down oh, wow. uh, so it would appear that they are on heated seats in the front of a car while also creating a bit of heat themselves oh,
0: wow. um,
1: it's from the michela uh brewery which is in belgium um yeah. and it is a 4.9 percent new england style uh, new england style pale ale um and so far it's pretty good um yeah enjoy it
0: for my bearish segment this week, um, I, was, I was actually effectively bullish on two things. Um, but I'm wondering, yeah, I'm wondering how I'm gonna, how I'm gonna spin this around. <laughs> I was gonna say I am bullish on Hydra, uh, which is the largest darknet market, which has started to attract a lot of attention because it has become absolutely enormous. Right. Um, this is a, a darknet market that dabbles in drugs counterfeit uh like The modern Silk
1: Road kind of thing.
0: Yes, except it only operates in the in the so in uh former Soviet Union states. Uh ah. so it's a Russian uh Russian operation more than a billion dollars in revenue a year from what we can see ah. from uh from the uh uh you know the Bitcoin flows uh but you know it's in all the Soviet bloc states Moldova Azerbaijan etc and, uh, you know, they've seen 64% growth every year since 2015. Wow. Uh, the fact that this this market is still around since 2015 <laughs> is uh, yeah. pretty uh, incredible. I mean, for a dark market- Almost get a
1: feeling like it might have a little bit of state assistance there.
0: Yes. So, there is, so the, the narrative as to why it has sustained itself so much is that there is- they are in cahoots with law enforcement in Russia, either through corruption or some kind of soft power uh, operation. Um, and they were planning on growing into, going into uh, Europe. Via and- a SPAC. <laughs> 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 As or, but yeah, it wouldn't be ICO. That's not that's not cool <laughs> anymore. It would need to probably be via SPAC. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're just an, uh, just an enormous operation. Um, uh, really quite intimidating Hydra and you know it's gone to the point where sellers are at you know the the vendors on that on that site are you know selling their access because wow. Hydra vets uh, people who are allowed to sell to keep standards high and also to entrench in the existing sellers so people who are on there are people who do sell that you know you need to have made 50 transactions at least $10,000 in, in your uh, escrow account things like that. So it's gone to the point where sellers are actually selling access to their accounts. It has become a secondary market for selling accounts on Hydra. Um, all manner of uh, you know dark shenanigans that's going on, uh, and you know they're seeing you know it's a billion dollars revenue a year, more than a billion over in uh, over the last year. So uh, you know they're getting millions of dollars in tr- in revenue over in well in yeah in terms of the actual volume of trading for illicit substances, mostly narcotics, but also. Uh, other things as well. Um, It really is quite, it's an enormous operation and one that is very much, you know, this is sort of the the negative externality, you could say. um, I'm no doubt that, you know, some of the funds has been used for very bad things. Um, Mm -hmm. But I mean, the growth of that, of that operation is, is pretty, pretty crazy. And uh, if it's got state assistance as well, feels like there's something that we're going to be hearing more of, because if they did want to get into Europe, this would then become and there is state assistance of some form, mm. then this would become really very much a, an instrument of soft power from Russia into Europe. Uh, and it's something that we'll be hearing a lot more of in the future. Now, just like people refer to the Silk Road uh, now, I'm starting to think if Hydra is, you know, it describes itself as Hydra because you can't defeat it, or mm. not, you can't defeat it easily, certainly. Chop off its head
1: and a couple more pop up.
0: Yeah, so it's created in the, in the, with that in mind. Um, interestingly, actually, uh, I only learned this today. Uh, I'd never heard of Ramp, which was another darknet market that existed, and uh, it was a Russian anonymous marketplace Ramp. And uh, I didn't actually know this, but Ramp would DDoS their competitors and reveal <laughs> they would dox the uh, the, uh, the people involved in their competitors to the authorities in order oh, wow. to get to clear out the competition. And apparently, Ramp. Got rugged, effectively by <laughs> uh, by Hydra, so uh, Hydra didos them, and now Hydra has become the the, the big dog in the space. That's literally um,
1: survival of the fittest.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, I bet you people are being killed. I mean, I'm I'm sure there's been that kind of you know Russian mafia kind of activity on it, uh, but just an enormous organization. And I'm pr- uh, so it, it, I would say I, I'm bearish on this on this <laughs> site getting shut down. I don't, I think it's not going to go away.
1: You'd have to no. think if they're going to expand into Europe, that then all of a sudden that becomes a little bit more of a, um, yeah, an issue for big, big issue. Europeans, for the Americans as well. And the British, yeah. I mean, it becomes an issue for, uh, countries, the five eyes countries and, 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 and then Europe in general. So, yeah, yeah. I think, I think yeah, that should, that'll be, that'll be interesting. To, you know what? I've, I've not, I'd not heard of it before, to be honest. Um, but it's something I'm going to absolutely going to keep an eye on for sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's a huge, in terms of just the amount of uh, Bitcoin trading and it won't, but it won't just be Bitcoin. probably, probably a huge amount of the XMR uh, yeah. trading that you get these days will probably have something to do with Hydra. Um, and I think, I don't think it's going away. So I, I'd be bearish on, um, no, it, it doesn't really fit the, it doesn't really fit the bill, does it? I'm bearish on law enforcement actions against Hydra. I think that's, uh, But I don't think it's going to go away.
1: You know, it'll be interesting to see that if, um, you know, there, there there may be there may be a, a a definitive correlation between the the urgency at which the European Union seems to be wanting to push out a, a central bank backed digital currency as well. You know, because um, there's there's no doubt that that the idea behind CBDCs is also to help quash, uh, you know, illegal payment networks and things like that, um, which we know are going to, you know, the Bitcoin does is used in them. It's certainly not anywhere near um, as big as the mainstream media plays it out to be. Cash is, is still very heavily involved in these things. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see that, you know, the black economy and illicit trade and things like that, how, how effective CBDCs will be on quashing that, or mm. if it just means that, that, that it completely shifts to, to, um, uh, to, to Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies
0: yeah uh, as, a, as a prediction uh, you know, from that I, I expect we will see yeah I w- so the, the attempt so Hydra made it quite clear uh, I think this was in 2019 that they were going to try and expand into European markets so this was actually like literally put by the mods on on the site. By the <laughs> way we're gonna be uh, we're gonna we're gonna start expanding coming to, to a neighborhood Europe. near you. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And uh, this didn't happen. They blamed it on Wufoo, which is very interesting. Uh, they then said, "Join Wufoo." Now we're gonna re- we're gonna st- keep trying this, but we've yet that apparently, as far as law enforcement is concerned, they've yet to see that happen in Europe, right? But if that does happen, I, as a prediction, I am pretty confident that simply the organization known as Hydra will be used as a uh, as the front for we need to shut down Bitcoin on ramps in Europe yeah. so we need to shut down Bitcoin fiat exchanges in Europe and they will blame specifically Hydra I mean it is perfect super it is literally you know the a nasty organization in Captain America right this has the the perfect branding to be used as an excuse for political you know for a policy response against crypto in general so they'll say sorry we've got coinbase, we're going to p- place real big restrictions on you because of Hydra, you know, uh, as our counter Hydra task force. <laughs> to that, that, that will be FUD. There will I be bet you FUD they call the task
1: force, I bet you they yep. call the task force the Avengers.
0: Yeah, they probably would. Tell me <laughs> as cheesy as that would go down real well in the EU. <laughs> but Sam, in terms of uh, your second beer, how would you rate that?
1: Uh, yeah, so this is um, <clears throat> this is quite a nice New England style pale ale. Um, uh, yeah, pff, I mean, it didn't blow my socks off. I d- didn't enjoy it as much as the kind uh, of matter. Um, I think I just give this one just uh, I think just an A. It's pretty pretty bog standard uh, New England um, pale ale.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I actually feel very similar. Uh, this isn't a New England pale ale. I believe this is just a pale ale. Oh no, well actually, well it's not New England. It's an American pale ale. So could be New England, could be New Hampshire, could even be, you know, Arizona, who knows. But uh, yeah, this is similarly, uh, it's not bad, uh, but it's not, you know, it's not, it's forgettable, I'm afraid. So I'm probably going to give this one an A minus. That'll be my, uh, my rating for today. Uh, but Sam, we have gone off quite a while. Do you have any closing remarks you'd like to add to episode 49 of uh, BBB?
1: Not at all. Quite enjoyed the episode, which I shall be naming the Cuban Missile Crisis
0: very good very good that is all for this week we shall be back again next week it may even be close to the end of the first season of mm. bbb as we are coming up to the big 50 number and sam of course does have uh, his uh, you know he does have his parental <laughs> duties to attend to in the very near future so we may be calling a halt or not a halt it's not a halt a it there may be something of a, a pause a hiatus for a little while um But that would be, you know, we'll discuss that more next week. I hope you did enjoy this episode. We shall be back again next week, and we'll see you then. Bye-bye.